0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Was the Miami Hurricanes' 1982 quarterback depth chart more remarkable than the 83 QB draft class? Well, my next guest covers that and a whole lot more right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast.
1: The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field.
0: Protection. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh my God. Davis is going to run it
1: all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends
0: live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. What are the three most beautiful words a sports fan can hear? Football is back. The wait is over, my friend, and even though you might not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Plus, there's always that online casino as well. The best part about it, it never closes. You can play 24 7. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. It's the only place to go. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The University of Miami has nine conference titles and boasts five national championships, but it's the rich tradition at quarterback that cannot be matched. Don't think so? Let's look at the trophy case. Six All-Americans, three Maxwell Awards, two Davey O'Brien and Johnny Unitas Awards, a Walter Camp Award, and two Heisman Trophy winners. The glory years for the Canes began in the 80s and continued for decades. And here to break down all that history at the U is my special guest on the show, Tim Graham, senior writer at The Athletic and host of The Tim Graham Show, which you can catch on YouTube. Thanks for joining me, Tim.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to these topics you've uh, rolled out for me.
0: All right. Well, first off, you're at The Athletic now. Well, you've also been at publications in Buffalo, Vegas, and Florida, plus ESPN and even a little boxing. Which stop taught you the most, and what was the most enjoyable?
1: Oh, what a great question. Uh, Well, I've lived in Buffalo the longest, so that would be my cheap answer. Uh, (laughs) Probably just on terms of volume of lessons learned, experiences accumulated, uh, interviews conducted, all that stuff. But I think I really kind of... Came of age as a journalist in towards the end of my time in Las Vegas. I, I remembered uh, getting there in '95. I, I think that if I were to go back and look at old stories, the evolution from wincing at uh, what I had written until being proud of what I had written from start to start to finish at any one place, that would probably be it. <laughs>
0: And while you are at the Buffalo News as an enterprise reporter, you wrote an article that I found really interesting. The headline was, making the case that Jim Kelly's college depth chart was more remarkable than the 1983 QB draft class. I mean, that's quite a statement, and uh, let's get a little context. Initially, you were interviewing former Georgia Bulldogs head coach Mark Richt about his old friend Jim Kelly. But when did it turn to the amazing Miami Hurricane QB depth chart of 1982?
1: I don't really remember what the trigger was in, in switching. I think maybe just the idea popped into my head. We were talking about the uh, the quarterback depth chart at Miami, and it was Jim Kelly was the starter. Testa Verde was the backup. Kyle VanderWendy was also there. He was considered a blue-chip uh, prospect who actually ended uh, his career early. He left Miami with still a year left and to enter the draft. He didn't get picked, but he was still considered a talent. Uh, Bernie Kosar was a redshirt freshman and Mark Richt, who went on to great acclaim as a college coach was, as he said, the fourth or fifth best (laughs) on the roster of, of four, of five guys. And, um, I think he was even including the, you know, so I guess it was whether or not you wanted to include Bernie Kosar as a redshirt, um, was he fourth or fifth? And then Earl Morrill was the quarterback's coach and he was a former first round pick himself and uh, these guys were recruited by two legendary coaches. Lou Saban had recruited uh, Jim Kelly and Rick, uh, but then Schnellenberger uh, went out and got Kozar and Testaverdi. Uh, yeah, so oh, and a hall. Yeah, I mean it's just amazing and so uh, however that popped into my head while I was talking to Rick and of course he's a part of one and not the other. Uh, to ask him to compare that depth chart to the 1983 quarterback draft class, which is always mentioned as, uh, you know, this the gold standard of any uh, any draft conversation. I guess you want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and, you know, that draft when they had a bunch of Hall of Famers or the 83 quarterback draft class and, And, you know, those are the conversations every year you hear about it uh, around draft time, just uh, when people want to reminisce about uh, the greatest, uh, the greatest drafts. And um, Rick obviously went with uh, the depth chart uh, at Miami, but Schnellenberger, when I ran into him uh, maybe a month or two later at Jim Kelly's uh, annual golf tournament, uh, you know, he made it the point to say that, you know, these guys came from all across the country. Exactly. And uh, to keep them is maybe the great feat. Oh, and the other. And by the way, uh, a volunteer assistant, his first job, Mark Tressman, uh, was working with the quarterbacks at that yeah. point, too. So all of wow. that talent that is right there, um, it was just it's just amazing.
0: It and, is amazing. Um,
1: yeah. A f- fun thing to talk about.
0: It really is. We are speaking with Tim Graham, senior writer at The Athletic. Well, that 83 draft class, like you said, was from all around the country. Marino was from Pitt, Elway from Stanford, Blackledge from Penn State, O'Brien, UC Davis, Eason from Illinois, and Jim Kelly. And you got uh, three future first-rounders on that Hurricane QB debt chart in 82. Do you think there's any program that ever came close to that kind of depth chart?
1: You know, you'd have to. All right, at quarterback, no, I, I don't think so. The only other thing that comes to mind, and hopefully I can look it up here before I stammer my way through it, is um, the running back depth chart, also, by the way, at Miami, that had Frank Gore, I think it was like four 1,000-yard NFL running backs uh, were on on it. And uh, it it was just – just an amazing group willis McGahey and and both sides of the ball that team was just loaded with first round picks on both sides of the ball but the running back depth chart was absurd uh and that that was a fun story that i've uh that i've looked at also but no when it comes to quarterbacks i don't think so it's amazing to have those types of guys in one place and not have them want to transfer to quit the program uh, you know, Vanderwende kind of did that. You know, he left a year early just so he could have a chance and get to the NFL, and, and he didn't make it, but pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, uh, Coach Luce Sabin and uh, Schnellenberger, they pulled off a miracle getting them all. But didn't Rick think about transferring?
1: He did. And he told me that during the conversation, although he didn't have a college that he was going to go to. He had <laughs> just made up his mind that he needed to leave. And to get an uh, I guess. Yeah. And this was, you know, I guess what is a harbinger of his coaching acumen, everything about team first uh, and probably how he's able to get uh, his players over the years to buy into sports, uh, the sports psychology necessary to be a successful uh, football team is Rick had decided after telling Schnellenberger that he wanted to leave um, that. You know what? I don't want to leave because that's what a quitter would do. I want to prepare myself and to be the best backup quarterback in the country and uh, if I get the chance to play great but I need to I guess kind of own my situation here and push myself and I thought that that was a pretty admirable thing for him to do and so he remained uh, at Miami and continued to back up these guys and cut his own path in a different way as they were going on to the NFL and leading the, the Bills to four Super Bowls and the Browns to deep playoff runs and Ken O'Brien's, uh, you know, lighting it up with the New York Jets. I mean, not people didn't forget Joe Namath, but uh, Ken O'Brien had a fantastic career. Dan Marino, of course, doing what he's doing, rewriting the record book. And uh, Mark Rick just decided he was going get to get into coaching and uh, an incredible uh, career in his own right.
0: Yeah, well, like you're saying, he didn't have the most QB accolades, but he accomplished a lot as a head coach, correct?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, these guys, uh, the other guys really didn't even get into coaching, so you can't, there's really no comparison. But, uh, you know, Rick to, is, uh won a pair of SEC championships, uh, sent a lot of players into the NFL, a bunch of first-round picks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what his record ended up.
0: 72-32 uh, and at Georgia. He won, like you said, a pair of SEC championships. And also coached uh, Heisman Trophy winners Charlie Ward and Chris Winkie at uh, Florida State.
1: Yeah, just a, just a tremendous career. You know, it's, uh, he's been in, he was in the talk uh, back in the, uh, you know, around you know, 2011, 2012. He would be considered a perennial candidate for Coach of the Year honors in college football. And, uh, you know, his star has faded a little bit, you know, with his different stops that he's made. But uh, still, uh, you know, impeccable. You know, he, he had his chance at uh, at Miami of Florida. He went back there uh, for a couple of years and things didn't work out. But, uh, but yeah, I think that you take a look back on what he has accomplished, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to match. And especially to be that competitive in a conference that has – Nick Saban in it. I always have to stop because we already mentioned Lou Saban, in this, <laughs> and so Nick Saban. Yeah. So yeah, when you have Alabama and LSU uh, on your schedule every year, it's tough. Uh, but he, you know, he won a couple SEC championships at Georgia and uh, uh, and was uh, you know, ACC Coach of the Year in twenty seventeen at Miami before uh, before leaving there a
0: year later. Yeah, quite a resume. We have on the show Tim Graham, senior writer at the Athletic, and we're talking about the amazing Miami Hurricane depth chart from nineteen eighty two. And you're dialed in on Buffalo Sports. Tell me about Jim Kelly, the player and the person.
1: Well, you know, Jim has been through a, a lot of struggle uh, over the last uh, few years. And sure. that was what caused me to reach out to Mark Richt. You know, Jim Kelly was uh, just beginning his uh, his ordeal with uh, oral cancer that he had. And uh, things did not look good at that time. And, uh, you know, we were reaching out to various friends and old teammates and things like that, people who wanted to say uh, some kind words about Jim and wish him well in his fight. And uh, here he is still standing all these years later and countless surgeries. And, you know, he was not the most beloved player when he was with the Bills. You know, he was viewed as a guy who was selfish. Uh, he went to the USFL. He spurned Buffalo and, and sure, right, insulted Houston the Houston Gamblers, yep. Uh, and uh, he would take shots at Buffalo uh, went while he was lighting up uh, the scoreboard in the USFL uh, for the Houston gamblers and say, you know, why would I want to go to Buffalo? I mean, it's a no brainer. Well, he was forced to go to Buffalo. It took the fans a while to warm up to him. And even when he was winning Super Bowls, I think there was still some of that uh, you know, residual resentment for, for Jim Kelly and how he uh, treated Western New York after his career was over he was going to leave the region uh, to live in uh, richmond virginia area even built this big mansion but you know things changed in his life and uh, his his son uh, hunter you know who was uh, born with uh, a life changing and life shortening condition uh, they they decided to stay in western new york for the family and he experienced this second phase in his life where he uh, became uh, a significant advocate for children's health concerns and, and charities in general raised a lot of money, uh, for, um, for great causes, uh, around the country, around the world. And, and then of course, you know, the, you know, the, the, outpouring of, of love that I think that he, he experienced uh, through his cancer battle and, and people have just seen, uh, a, a man that's, uh, very admirable, uh, with his fight and uh, to be able to, soldier on as he has. So he's, he's lived a couple of, uh, different lives, uh, yeah. since he, since he was introduced to the people of Western New York, uh, as the heel, uh, as the hero. And, uh, and now as, uh, you know, as somebody who, uh, who's revered, uh, for, for what he's done, not only with a football in his hand, but, uh, but also in his, In his retirement life,
0: yeah, and as a player, he was a five-time Pro Bowler and was named to the All-Pro three times. And we're speaking with Tim Graham, senior writer at the Athletic. Another quarterback on that uh, '82 roster, Bernie Kosar, like you're saying, is redshirt freshman. He won Miami their first national championship in 1983. Does the Natty do you think put him above the rest in that class?
1: Well, yeah, I would think so. Now, he didn't win the Heisman Trophy, and if not for Doug Flutie's Hail Mary play uh, for Boston College, Bernie Kosar probably does win that Heisman Trophy, so that would make him a lock uh, for that conversation. Although, uh, you know, that's for at Miami, though, uh, because you had Jim Kelly go on to a Hall of Fame career in the NFL, uh, Vinny Testaverde, and I think eh, Vinny Testaverde played for longer than Bernie Kosar, in fact took over Bernie Kosar's role in Cleveland in a very unpopular move that really with the way he handled it eventually forced, uh, you know, Bill Belichick out of Cleveland. Uh, he was just not a popular guy Oops. in Cleveland <laughs> when he benched, uh, you know, Bernie Kosar was from Northeast Ohio, and he he worked the system, uh, the NFL system against it to end up with his Cleveland Browns, the team that he grew up being a fan of, at a time when players, you know, ridiculed Buffalo, much like Jim Kelly was doing with, uh, did with uh, Buffalo. Uh, Bernie Kosar came at a time when Cleveland was just a joke, and Cleveland was a laughingstock organization, uh, save for the one year nineteen eighty when Brian Sipe and the Cardiac Kids and they get within a game of the AFC Championship yeah. game, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, and then they crash and the Browns are a joke again well here comes this kid out of Miami who led Miami uh, who led the team to a national championship and probably was Heisman caliber uh, maybe deserved the Heisman if not for one play as I mentioned and um, he wants to play in Cleveland and it was kind of like the exact opposite of how Jim Kelly arrived in Buffalo so does Testaverde
0: well Vinny backed up does... Kozar uh, but as one of the most decorated of the group like you mentioned Consensus All-American, winner of the Maxwell, Davy O'Brien, and Walter Camp awards, plus taking home the Heisman Trophy in his senior year. Did the groundwork laid out by his fellow QBs allowed him to the, nab the most awards?
1: Yeah, and then Testaverde plays from 1987 to 2007. He's 44 years old and still in the NFL. <laughs> Amazing! Uh, that's a long, long career. Now, a lot of those years were as a backup. He does uh, lead the NFL in interceptions four times over the course of his career. He makes it to a couple of Pro Bowls, um, but still one of the more respected uh, backup quarterbacks in NFL history. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with Bernie Kosar as the best of that group at Miami, and then Jim Kelly, uh, clear cut as uh, with the best career.
0: Yeah, well, they had some great quarterbacks uh, following those that '82 group: Steve Walsh, Craig Erickson, Heisman winner Gino Toretta, Ken Dorsey, who shattered all the records and won a national championship. If you Yeah, could Ken ha-
1: Dorsey's here in Buffalo now as the quarterback's coach. So he's uh he's coaching Josh Allen right now.
0: Oh, nice. There you go. And from that group that followed, who would you want behind center if you were coaching a college team?
1: I'd have to go with Dorsey based on the track record. I mean, the numbers don't lie. He only lost two games, and although Dorsey was on that team that we were talking about with that was loaded at Miami with all those first all round right. picks. So sure. maybe it's uh he's on autopilot. Um, you know, Ray Lewis was on those teams. I mean, it was just a sickening amount of talent. And, uh, and while we're at it, I have looked it up. That 2001 Miami Hurricanes running back depth chart had Clinton Portis, Willis McGahey, Frank Gore, Najee Davenport, and Walter Payton's son, Jarrett, who is the least accomplished out of all those guys and still ran for 1,000 yards his senior year. Uh, the offense also had at receiver Andre Johnson and tight and tight ends, Jeremy Shockey and Kellen Winslow
0: jr. So unbelievable.
1: So when you're talking about, when I'm, I'm thinking about Ken Dorsey's record, uh, he, uh,
0: it's a good reason he why didn't,
1: he didn't have to lift the lead. He, he didn't have to do much of a heavy lift.
0: There. Go out there and don't mess up.
1: <laughs> I guess I would then, you know, Walsh was still, when he was doing well, it was still the residual of those, uh, you know the Jimmy Johnson era guys, right?
0: It's tough, I guess I, I just
1: have to go with Dorsey because he did it. The numbers don't lie, and so many times in those, uh, he just had to turn off. And uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Steve Walsh. Steve Walsh, oh,
0: 38 and two for uh, Ken Dorsey, like you were saying, and broke all the records. But uh, Steve Walsh was just unbelievable. And we have on the show Tim Graham, senior writer at the Athletic, and we're talking about the legendary players on the Miami Hurricanes. So let's talk about, you mentioned uh, the young QB on the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, who started at junior college, then was drafted in 2018 out of Wyoming. What are your impressions of him?
1: Well, he's, um, he has flaws or I should, maybe it's time to talk about him in past tense. He does look like a much better player uh, this year than just uh, than what we saw at the end of last year. He, he had a clunker of a performance in Houston uh, in the, in the playoffs, you know, the Bills have a nice lead heading into the second half, and they just kind of choked it away. Josh Allen played a lot of hero ball in that game, did still silly things with the ball, held on for it, held on to it for too long to try to make a play, got rid of it uh, too soon uh, because he was trying to make a play, and, and it just kept blowing up in his face. And so we think about that all throughout the offseason, a different offseason, also in which the players don't get together. Yes, the Bills trade for Stephon Diggs, but you're talking about the chemistry needed between a quarterback and his top receiver.
0: Oh, definitely. And
1: the lack of workouts, uh, the lack of OTAs, the lack of mini camp, all that stuff. No preseason games. And you think, man, you just, you know, what's up with Josh Allen? How is he going to evolve uh, from the guy who left that bad taste in everybody's mouth? And he has been the total opposite, and he's, uh, with the exception of a couple fumbles in the opener, and and these fumbles came, you know, in a game that should have been a blowout. So he averts disaster there, and he's, he's just been super efficient with the ball, and Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, has found a way to spread the ball around to everybody. And it's just, uh, it's just incredible to see him work, you know, to, to move the ball around the field and to use what's at his disposal to take what the defense is giving him, to be calm out there and not be reckless, which is something that Bill's fans had gotten to the point where, well, we'll take it. Uh, he's reckless, but he's fun to watch, number one. And number two is those reckless plays sometimes lead to something very special. Well, he's he's been doing special things while not being reckless, and so it's been a almost it's been a revelation. You know, he's uh, you know Bills fans are talking MVP. I think that's a little hasty because unfortunately for MVP consideration, uh, there are so many quarterbacks off the hot starts like Russell Wilson, like Aaron Rodgers. You know, sure. So um, while Bills fans are seeing something that they're not used to witnessing. Um, let's tap the brakes on MVP talk, but certainly amazing, uh, amazing performances so far from Josh Allen.
0: Yeah, well, coming out, like I said, of those those smaller schools, how do you think he made such incredible leaps? Didn't seem like a deer in headlights.
1: Mm, Yeah, and the fact is, is that everywhere he's been, he hasn't been the first choice, with the exception of his high school varsity team. Uh, even his Pop Warner team, he had to quit because the coach wouldn't let him play quarterback. And he thought he was a lot better. Uh, the coach just wanted him to play defense. And so his dad, uh, you know, there was a he had played in a game in garbage time. And these Pop Warner coaches uh, on, for the opposing for the opposing team were like, man, this kid's really good. Josh Allen's dad happens to be on the fence line, overhears these coaches talking and says, hey, if you give him a chance to play quarterback, I mean, we we're not happy where we are. Uh, so the coaches say, yeah, come on out. And that's how he became a quarterback. He, the other coach just didn't see anything in him. Uh, and then he gets to uh, high school and ends up with no scholarship offers, uh, goes to Reedley Junior College, is not the starter there. I want to say he even came in as the third quarterback, gets in because of injuries and circumstance, gets one significant college offer. And it's from Wyoming. Uh, after that. Goes to Wyoming, is not the starter there either. He gets a chance because the starter breaks a a bone, I want to say collarbone or something. And it's just constantly survival and being confident in himself and pretty much looking around and saying, I deserve to be out there. And I guess I should take a step back. He wanted to play at Fresno. He grew up a Fresno Bulldogs fan, and he would attend the Fresno passing camps and things like that in the off season. And he was always being put with the kids who were considered, you know, look, they have these quarterback camps. Some kids get invited and they're considered the future. You know, they're considered uh, college prospects. They're getting recruited. And then there's the other kids who have parents who waste their money uh, because (laughs) they want their son to be uh, a, a superstar quarterback and they might not have it. Well, Josh Allen was put in that group. Like he'd show up and, Fresno State's coaching staff would say, you don't belong with these other kids. Go over here and, you know, throw the football around and we'll come and check on you at some point. We're going to be over here working with the kids that have a future. And he took that personally, too, and ended up not getting an offer from Fresno. That was before Reedley and then didn't get an offer from Fresno after Reedley either. And um, and so he was heartbroken, but he believed in himself and and uh, and got the opportunity. And whatever little opportunity he got, he made it. uh, He made it count.
0: Yeah, the power of persistence with him. And at Wyoming, he led the Cowboys to a Mountain West Conference Division title and two bowl games. All right, it's time Time to go go. three and out. It's time to go three and out with Tim Graham, senior writer at The Athletic. Three lighter questions to close out the interview okay for the first one you serve two terms as president on the boxing writers association of america so i need to know who is the best fighter ever and what was the best boxing match in history wow uh, best fighter <laughs> i loaded ever. you up on that one i love best boxing fighter so. ever
1: you know the easy answer is muhammad ali sure uh, i've said this um I just did a huge feature on Ali, in which my admiration for him uh, deepened because of his uh, stance uh, with the Vietnam War. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to remove that. It's hard to do, but I think maybe I'll go with Sugar Ray Robinson, maybe to keep myself in check. Uh, And then the greatest match of all time might be the Thrilla in Manila. Thrilla in Manila, Uh, even though it was the fight in which. Ali and Frazier of that trilogy were at their worst. You know, they were old, they were considered uh, over the hill, but it was they had taken just enough off in terms of their defense and their speed uh, that it turned into such a slugfest uh, that 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 one goes down uh, as 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 maybe the greatest fight of all time with Joe Frazier uh, wanting to continue but being out of gas and his, his trainer Eddie Futch essentially throwing in the towel maybe within seconds of Ali quitting himself uh, and Angelo Dundee trying to convince him to come out because these guys had just taken so much from each other. Uh, Greatest fight I ever saw was um, uh, Diego Corrales and uh, Jose Luis Castillo in Las Vegas. And that was just, uh, that was uh, Corrales coming off the mat uh, multiple times to, to score a uh, incredible uh, finish, finishing knockdown in which if Castillo goes down, the fu- I mean he probably wins the fight, but his his bravery and his uh, his stamina he refused to go down. But he just was taking so many shots that the referee had to step in and stop it. Just a crazy, crazy boxing match, and that is that is boxing and it's brutal, brutal beauty. Um, but you know my my you know my stance on boxing has changed a bit over the years because of that. But anyway, that's a conversation for another
0: time. Yeah, no, but some great fighters and some great matches, that's for sure. Number 2, the Bills had some outstanding players. Leaving out Jim Kelly, I picked 3. Running back Thurman Thomas from Oklahoma State, wideout Andre Reed of Kutztown, and defensive giant Bruce Smith out of Virginia Tech. If the Bills were only able to redraft one of these players, who would be your selection?
1: Uh, this is not the popular decision. Uh, I would have to go I think Thurman
0: Uh uh-oh hedging the bet already
1: well bruce smith is i think the greatest bill of all time and i think thurman thomas is the greatest draft pick of all time because he was in the second round bills didn't uh bills got him it was a steal uh so when you take about think about a player that great uh and talk about a running back depth chart how about thurman thomas and barry sanders on the same team Uh, but um hmm, yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Bruce Smith.
0: And finally, I'm a foodie. I've been to Buffalo, and it has some of the best food. So, what would you choose as one legendary place to eat in Buffalo? We'll go wings, not wings, and non-wings. Then
1: um, there's a place in uh, in the northern suburbs called Elmo's, uh, which is uh, for wings. It's my uh, the bar that I hang out the most. And, uh, it is super underrated and it has been gaining traction over the last couple of years. Uh, but they, uh, they do a double dip style wing in which you get two different sauces. They put it in a sauce, uh, they then grill it and then put it mm. in another sauce. And the combination is, um, is sensational. Uh, non wing joint. There's so many good restaurants.
0: There really is. It's unbelievable. Right down Chippewa. Uh, I mean, going for days.
1: Uh,
0: uh, 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 uh I was like Jim Steakout. I don't know why. Uh,
1: well, Jim Steakout, yeah, went at about two thirty in the morning, and uh, <laughs> that's you know, probably you're why about, you're about nine beers deep. Um, you know, there's a place that just it's a, it's on hiatus right now because of the pandemic. It's called Seer, and it was uh, involved had some involvement from former Bills players uh, Fred Jackson and Brian Mormon, Terrence McGee, and I've never had a better steak. Uh, than, than this place. It's a, it's a hot, it's a high end dining and um, I've never had a bad
0: meal there. We'll have to hit it there. And then if I'm up at the Buffalo area, we're going to have to go to Elmo's for some wings. That's for sure. All right. We've been speaking with Tim Graham, senior writer at the athletic and host of the Tim Grant show, which you can catch on YouTube. Thanks for joining me, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at TheSportsJesus and join us next week because it will be legendary.